Because sometimes, unfortunately, the bully could be someone in the household. But what happens when the teacher is calling like his teacher did and nobody does anything? They just sweep it under the rug. What do you do when your leadership and your supervision are telling you not to say anything? Knock the walls down. Welcome to 2020. And Internal Fire introduces you to Fireproof. And in these next few weeks, we're going to talk about some heavy stuff So listener discretion is advised. In these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some infamous people, people that might no longer be living, and some people who are. And what we'll be doing is identifying the child behind the abuser, the child behind the predator, the child behind the school shooter. And by no means should these people not be held responsible for their actions, but we will identify some key things that I want you to realize the importance of getting your mental health help, especially for our young people. Because what if these people had gotten the help that they needed when they were children? Would they have still become the predators, the abusers, the school shooters, the serial killers that they did become? Welcome to 2020, and let's focus on how we can start to save our young people and save our own mental health. Listen, what if I had a tool that would take your business to the next level, your relationships to the next level, and even the people that you lead to the next level? Yes, I do have a tool like that. See, what we don't realize is that we speak and we communicate from a one-sided way. It might be because of how we grow up, I used to lead through my trauma, but what we need to realize is that every single person we interact with communicates differently, and we have to be able to customize how we communicate with each and every one that we interact with to get the best product on the other side. What if this is something that's going to benefit your relationships, your marriage, how you lead? What if it's going to take your business to the next level because you're going to get the language that you need to get clients and maintain an effective driving team? Well, let me get you those answers. Make sure you email me at info at AishaThomas.org. Again, that's info, I-N-F-O at AishaThomas, A-I-S-H-A-T-H-O-M-A-S.org. And let me get you the tools that you need that's going to take your life, your business, your relationships to the next level. Hit me up and tap into your genius zone. This case is going to be very emotional. So at any point you find yourself getting a little overwhelmed, please step out of the courtroom, compose yourself, and then come back inside. This was the case that just has followed me from that night. It's still hard to believe two people did all those horrible things to him. Gabriel Fernandez was, at the time of his death, eight years old. That was my friend, and it really caught me because it was his parent who took his life. He was a very good kid, very playful, loving. These two people murdered this child. How did this come to be? How did a child who had so many signs of repeated and long-term abuse slip through the cracks? It really wasn't until I got all of the evidence that I realized how egregious the case was. 
This was a story that could not be ignored. Gabriel had a cracked skull, broken ribs, burns, and BB pellets lodged in his body. Gabriel Fernandez, at only eight years old, he was brutally murdered. And it wasn't by someone on the outside, a stranger, somebody at his school, somebody at his daycare. It was by his mother and her boyfriend. At eight years old, he had suffered eight months of torture that included regular beatings, being shot in the face with a BB gun, forced to eat cat litter, which his autopsy showed, locked in a cupboard for hours, and even pepper sprayed. Cigarette burns on the back of his head. The list goes on and on. And unfortunately, not only did his mother fail him, but so did the system. See, on these podcasts, I've been sharing resources and people to reach out to if you see that your child or a child is in danger. But what happens even when the system fails our children? So today, I just want to talk about it. I want to talk about the importance of speaking up. I want to talk about the importance of really pushing to help the youth of today. So we do not have any more Gabriels that we have to lose because so many people failed him. On the stand today, Gabriel's first grade teacher, she spent the most time with Gabriel and said that he opened up to her about the abuse he was experiencing at home. Written in the shaky, unsure handwriting of a first grader, Gabriel's teacher reads a note she found hidden in the eight-year-old's desk a few days after she learned of his brutal death. I love you, Mom, and Gabriel is a good boy. Jennifer Garcia said Gabriel confided in her early on in the school year, telling her he was beaten at home. Garcia immediately reported this to the Department of Children and Family Services. She said, well, sometimes my mom makes me bleed. And I said, well, where do you bleed? And he said, well, on my body. Because she hits me with a belt. And he's like, you know that part with the metal on it? He's like, that part. Over the next few months, Garcia said she saw repeated bruises, burns, wounds, and other injuries on the boy, and said in at least one instance, Gabriel came to school wearing girls' clothes. Gabriel's teachers spend the most time with him, and she made the most reports. There was even one story that really stood out. It was Monday, November 26, and Gabriel arrived really late from school. When the other children turned to look at them, they laughed and pointed at what they saw. But what they saw were chunks of his hair from his head and scabs formed in his, in his scalp. Now, when he was asked what happened, he said, my mom cut it like that. So what? Mind your business. See, Gabriel went from this child that was happy, a child that excelled in class. And now he started to exude anger issues. He was snappy. He used to be friendly and play with the kids. And now he became distant and sometimes would play alone in the teacher's classroom. So what did his teacher do? She called the principal to the room to take a look at his head. She even asked, you know, maybe we need to take some pictures. But the principal said, hey, we don't investigate that. We just report what we see. And then the teacher called and left more messages to the caseworker. But what happened? Nothing. And there was a moment in the documentary where you see a picture of him 
because this was during Mother's Day, a couple weeks before Gabriel went to heaven. And you see this photo and you see his forehead and it looks like it was in the healing process. It looked like he was burnt. You see his hands and you can see the physical, the physical weight of his forehead and, and just the bruises that he had all over the place. He even became absent the next day. And when he got back, his hair was styled like a mohawk. But then following later, he came back to school with a busted lip. And when the teacher asked him, he said, my mom punched me in my mouth. So his teacher became the person that he confided to. Like she shared in the story about him being beat with the belt and is this normal because it makes me bleed. And she tried and she tried. She made phone call after phone call. And even the principal of the school admonished her. And even she felt that she had nowhere to turn. And it seemed like whenever she reported Gabriel that something else harmful would happen to him. She even mentioned when she sat down and met with the mom for their parent-teacher conference, she just all of a sudden blurted out, I don't abuse my son. So what happens when someone is in a space like that where they're trying to get help to this young boy and he doesn't get it? And then two weeks later, she hears the news that he passes away and she's broken. She shares the news to her classroom and they just cry. I can only imagine what that must feel like. But that's what his teacher endured. She seemed like the only one that was consistent enough to report him, report that he needed the help that he needed. Family members saw signs and they tried what they could, but his teacher tried and tried and nothing happened. Because it's one thing when somebody's parents failed them, but it's a whole nother thing where the people that are there and they have been hired and there's a structure and these buildings and these rules and these organizations there to help our young people in these situations and they even fail to respond. The question was, could we uncover what was really going on? The Department of Children and Family Services has significant involvement in this case. Board of Supervisors have now taken notice. There's something about this kid's death. There was no medical follow-up, even to the injuries that were acknowledged by the department. You're thinking about in your head, how could this be true? As prosecutors, we need to up our game. She didn't just prosecute the mother and her boyfriend. She also took the step of prosecuting the four social workers. In a rare move, four social workers were charged today in an extreme case of child abuse where an eight-year-old boy died. CBS 2's Randy Page tells us what they are accused of doing. I have a message for the four social workers. You brought this upon yourself. Your conviction will be our greatest victory. The cousin of Gabriel Fernandez is reacting to the district attorney's decision to charge four social workers with child abuse and falsifying public records in connection with the eight-year-old's torture and death in 2012. Stephanie Rodriguez, Patricia Clement, Kevin Baum, and Gregory Merritt were in court today for their arraignment on the felony charges. Prosecutors say Gabriel's mother, Pearl Fernandez, and her boyfriend, Asaro Aguirre, 
tortured and murdered the little boy in one of the most gruesome child abuse cases in L.A. County history. They are awaiting trial for the boy's murder and could face the death penalty. But District Attorney Jackie Lacey says the four social workers should also be held criminally responsible for allowing the boy to remain in the abusive home after multiple allegations of abuse were reported to county authorities. So let's run through this process. Now you have a suspected feeling that a child might be abused or neglected. There are multiple ways that you can report it. Each state has a actual child abuse and neglect reporting number that you can reach out to by just going to CPS, or you can even call law, a law enforcement agency, call 911. Or you can also call the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline. So you can call or text, and their number is 800-422-4453. They have professional crisis counselors, and they're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and actually in over 170 languages. The calls are confidential, so they have a ton of, a ton of resources available. There's also the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's Cyber Tip Line. So there are multiple ways. Now, who can report it? Pretty much anyone can report it. You know, it can be something that can really help that child, of course. But there are also mandatory reporters. So we hear in the case a lot of times as teachers. Of course, a lot of people who are school staff, um, social workers, and so on are mandatory reporters. But every state has identified people who have to and they must report suspected child abuse or neglect. And again, you have social workers, teachers, school personnel, child care providers, physicians, other health care workers, mental health professionals, and even law enforcement officers. And if you go to childwarefare.gov, it also says some states require any person who suspects child abuse or neglect to report. So consider yourself a mandatory reporter. Now, what kind of things do you report? It states that you provide a complete, honest account of what you observed that led you to suspect the occurrence of child abuse and neglect. And just like Gabriel's teacher did, every time she sent something, she would call, tell exactly what happened, and so on. But provide that detail. Now, what happens after you do that? That's the big question, because we saw that in this case, Gabriel was neglected. There wasn't the support that you expected him to have. You hear that the teacher got reprimanded. You know, now she's like, I can't even turn to the principal. She was calling and calling. It got to the point where her calls were unanswered. So I can only imagine what you can do where you have nowhere to turn. Not only that, Gabriel will return to school jacked up, messed up. He was absent multiple days. And now she's saying, man, I feel some kind of way because she knows that every time a report happens, he comes back hurt, more bruises, more cuts, his head chipped away because, I mean, who knows what happened to him in that point. And they even mentioned that they found a bat and all these other things that had blood spatter on it. And I know this is gruesome, but just imagine being in the position of his teacher. But she seems like she was the one that was frequently trying to reach out and get him the help he needs. So what normally happens? Now it says after you make a report, it will be sent to Child Protective Services. When CPS receives a report, the CPS worker reviews the information and determines if an investigation is needed. The CPS worker may talk with the family, the child, or others to help determine what is making the child unsafe. And then the CPS worker can help parents or other caregivers get services, education, or other assistance. And of course, they say the last resort typically is them taking the child away. However, you saw in a lot of cases, if you watched this documentary that 
The CPS worker a lot of times just talked to the parents. There were a time where his mother provided them suicide notes and said that, you know, and she basically talked only to her, but said that, oh, well, he was suicidal. And it, it, the way it happened, there was no follow through to make sure Gabriel was okay. There was no medical attention that was given. If you look at the number of bumps and bruises and scrapes and the level of deterioration that was happening to this young boy's body, he never got the help he needed. But that's what should happen. That should happen in this process. This is what should have happened and this should have prevented him from ending up passing away from this unfortunate situation. So if you wanted to be familiar with the process, that's what the process looks like. And again, I don't want you to be turned off from reaching out to these services. But again, I want you to consistently report, consistently reach out, utilize, hey, if CPS is a return in the call, call the national, you know, child abuse hotline. If they won't help, call the, do the cyber tip line, utilize all these resources and just keep hitting at them nonstop until somebody actually does something. Pat, the judge told that couple that he hopes that they wake up at night and are tortured by thoughts of what they've done to this young boy. This is a case that has really touched so many because of the sheer brutality of the torture and abuse of this young boy by the two people who should have been taking care of him. The conduct was horrendous inhumane and nothing short of evil. After calling this the worst case of abuse he has seen in his 20 years on the bench, Judge George Lamelli sentenced Isaro Aguirre to death for torturing and murdering eight-year-old Gabriel Fernandez. His girlfriend, the boy's mother, Pearl Fernandez, received life in prison for her role. It is unimaginable the pain that this child probably endured. And I want to shout out Terrica Smith, my sister, my homegirl for putting me onto this story because watching it just pained me. Because like I've been sharing, if you see something, reach out. Because sometimes, unfortunately, the bully could be someone in the household. But what happens when the teacher is calling like his teacher did and nobody does anything? They just sweep it under the rug. What do you do when your leadership and your supervision are telling you not to say anything? Knock the walls down. Keep pushing back. Escalate it. Call a newspaper. Take it up a notch. Every time someone tries to stonewall you from saving a child's life or even saving an adult's life, but we have to keep pushing back. And I think Gabriel's story is a reminder of how we can try and try over and over again and how when we don't see no action happening, our silence, we become silent because of it. But no, I can only imagine what would have happened if somebody would have just investigated earlier. If he would have been taken to where they actually investigate and look at the bruises and the markings of a child, if he got medical attention, what would have happened? His life could have been saved. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. But I hope this story of Gabriel inspires you that regardless of what kind of issues you face or people that try to push back or not give something the attention it needs, that you will continue to fight on to save the life of our youth, to save the lives of people who need your support. So again, I thank you guys for tuning in and don't forget his name, Gabriel. Let him ring loud in your hearts and your minds. Love on your children, support your children. But remember, always speak up, escalate, push back and knock the walls down so we can help our youth of today. 
Our youth of today are struggling with mental health issues, with confidence issues, and suicide has now become the second leading cause of death of young people. That's why I had to write my book, Trendsetter, Seven Steps to Radically Stand Out to Be the Best You, to equip them with the tools that I use to become radically confident. See, in ninth grade, I attempted suicide. I didn't believe in myself, and I felt like my life no longer mattered because I lacked that self-confidence. So now I have given young people the tools that they need to become radically confident, and I need you to grab a copy so you can give it to your children, your students, your mentees, or just give it to someone who you think will need it in case they ever run into a moment where they start to not believe in themselves. Go grab your copy at Amazon.com or go to becomingatrendsetter.com. Again, that is becomingatrendsetter.com. Are you ready to take yourself to the next level, your family to the next level, your business to the next level? Make sure that you're not just listening to me, but you're listening to the entire Speak Fire team. What's up, guys? I'm Aisha Thomas, the host of Internal Fire, and I want to introduce you to the other people that are a part of this Speak Fire squad. Make sure you head over to Leadership Fire and check out Michael G's podcast, Student Fires, hosted by Bobby B, Champions Fire, hosted by Cornelius D, Father's Fire, by Jody S and Young Fire by Sean B. Make sure you like and subscribe to each and every one of those podcasts. And trust me, it'll help you get to the next level. Go check them out now. I want to shout out all my faithful listeners for tuning in every week. And don't forget to follow me on social media at Miss Aisha Speaks on all platforms. That's M-S-A-I-S-H-A Speaks. And don't forget to like and subscribe, turn your notifications on, and leave a comment if this podcast has blessed you in any kind of way. I thank you for all your support. Many blessings to you.